0: If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Today we are going to learn from a story about four different soils. Stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 8. We'll read verses 4 through 8 together. Luke 8, starting in verse 4. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good Soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Father, may we who have ears hear what you are saying to us today. Bless the reading of your word. Bless the preaching of your word. And Father, bless the application of your word to our hearts and lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is not much that can move people and shape societies like a good story can. Storytelling has captured the hearts and souls of men for thousands of years and for good reason. Stories capture our attention. They entertain us. They enlighten us. They make us feel empathy and joy and sorrow and a whole host of other emotions. All the while, stories bring home the values and morals, the lessons and precepts that guide us day by day throughout our lives. So meaningful are stories that just the mention of a character or a theme brings to mind vivid details and enduring lessons. Take the boy who cried wolf, for example. When we think of crying wolf, Immediately what comes to mind, someone who is always making outrageous claims but finds that their credibility is lacking when they need it most. That's the power of story. Jesus knew this. He knew that his teaching and preaching of the kingdom of God would not be complete unless people could see it, people could taste it, people could smell it. Even even the psalmist knew this. Psalm 34, verse 8, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He knew that God couldn't just be something that we hear about. It needed to be something that we experienced. And good storytelling is particularly effective at helping us experience God's actions throughout history. I mean, after all, it is His story. That's why Jesus often taught in the form of a parable, a short story that brings heavenly principles and puts them into earthly settings. We are doing a study, a series through the parables of Jesus. And as we do this, as we listen and as we consider Jesus's stories, we, we, we have to keep a couple of things in mind. First, what I want you to see is that there will always be one focal point in the parable. But that focal point can have many different applications. There are different characters coming from different types of experiences, different walks of life, who view the world differently, who respond to the world differently, whose situations are different. And as we're looking at these stories, one of the things we got to keep in mind is that everybody has something to say about a particular topic. But some of them might not apply to us. What I mean by that is we may be in a position of life where one character's perspective really hits home, but another's doesn't. And so we need to find ourselves in the story. Where do I fit in? Am I the father who's longing, waiting, looking for the son to come home? Am I the lost son who has abandoned everything that he knew, taken and squandered everything that he had, lost and dejected, wishing he could eat pig's food? Is that maybe me? Or maybe I'm the older brother who refused to welcome his younger sibling home. Where do I fit in this story? Where you see yourself is where the story is trying to impact you. The last thing I want to warn you about, don't overthink these. Don't get so caught up in the details that you miss the picture. Uh, don't see the trees and miss the forest. You get what I'm saying? Jesus tells these stories to clarify truth for those seeking it. Some won't seek truth, but hopefully that's not you. Now, with all this in mind, the caveat's out of the way. Let's look at the story. Your Bible, if it has paragraph headings, probably calls this the parable of the sower, maybe even the parable of the seed. But I don't think it's about the sower or the seed, nearly so much as it is about the soils. And so today we're going to consider what I will call the story of the soils. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. You can picture this man, a sower, maybe a farmer, maybe just a farm worker, throwing seed all over the place, spreading it far and wide. And as he reaches in and grabs a giant handful of the seed and casts it out, it falls on different kinds of soil. Now, we'll see in just a second. It ain't the seed that changes. It ain't the sower that changes. It's the soil that makes the difference. That's why I think this is a story about the soils. It's the same seed, the same sower. The only difference is the results because the soils are different. That seed can fall in all kinds of different places. One of those, one of those seeds falls on a path. Look in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. The first type of ground where the seed lands is the path. It's it's two different results. It either gets crushed underfoot or it gets eaten by birds. The seed doesn't get a chance to grow. doesn't even get the chance to get into the ground. It becomes null before it even settles. The second type of ground is rocky. Verse 6, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. This type of ground is common in Judea. There's a lot of places where there's a thin layer, six inches or less of topsoil, and right underneath that layer, it's rock solid. That's where this seed falls. Unlike the first seed, it starts to grow, but then it withered. There's no moisture for the roots. These seeds become malnourished and the plant fails. Verse seven, there's a third type of ground, thorny ground. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. This seed like that on the rocks begins to grow, but so do the thorns. And we all know what happens when vines and thorns and weeds grow alongside flowers and plants, right? They starve out the good stuff, the stuff we want to grow, take all the nutrients for themselves. Now, I may not be a horticulturist, but my extensive knowledge and experience... Working in the middle of the woods that I live in tells me this is very true. <laughs> if you don't believe me, come to my house. I'll show you some thorns. We have, we have vines and thorns that grow all the way up trees because they haven't been killed. They haven't been uprooted. Um, and we have some dead trees that died because of that kind of stuff. Massive trees, rotting. Because of vines. That's what happens when it falls among thorns. There's a final type of ground and it's good soil. Verse 8, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. This ground is good. It's loose. It's moist. It's nutrient rich. It's free of rocks and thorns. So the seed that grows here becomes extremely fruitful. A hundred times what was planted. I asked a farmer one time, How would you like a hundredfold crop? He said, I'd love a hundredfold crop. In that day, 15 or 30 would have been exceptional. But a hundredfold? Why, well, that only happens when God does it. There's a couple of times in the Bible where God does it, where God allows someone to plant and grow exceedingly beyond what they've planted. It's, I think of, I think of Ezekiel. Ezekiel talking about that day. That day when God makes things right. That day when the shepherd comes and takes care of his sheep himself. And then he talks about how, how you're not going to have the problems of the wild beast. Things will grow in abundance. You will sow, but you will reap bountifully when you sow. He talks about the fact that it will be so luscious, so wonderful, that in the desert places they'll become gardens. That's the kind of fruitfulness that comes only from God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The story is, it's a great story. Um, All of us can picture it. It's, It's down to earth. It's something that we can grab a hold of. But what does it mean? What is Jesus saying when he tells this story? What's he trying to teach us? Well, thankfully for us, the disciples asked him. Verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now remember when I said don't overthink the parables? I didn't say don't think about them. I didn't say don't think at all about them. You should be thinking about them. You should be mulling them over in your head. You should be cycling them through over and over again, meditating on them, thinking about them. Because the answer is not always directly on the surface. But don't super spiritualize them. Don't look for nitpicky details to fit your sort of ideology. Don't wonder, did the sower use his left hand or his right hand? That doesn't matter. Don't worry about how much rain they had that year. That doesn't matter. The details of the story are there to make it live in our minds. But there's certain things in these stories that really matter. Don't miss the forest because of the trees. Don't overthink them, but don't expect it to be handed right to you. Because some people will not see. Even though they have eyes, they will not see. They will not look. They look, they glance, they look away because they don't want to see. Some people will not hear. No matter how much they may act like they want to hear, they don't want to hear. Their mind goes to other things. They shut their ears so that the word does not penetrate deep. We'll talk about some of those folks in a minute. But the fact is some people, even though they have ears, will not hear. Jesus is saying, don't be that person. Don't be the person that sees cannot see and that hearing does not understand don't be that person don't be the person that allows the word of god to fall flat they see many things but they miss the main thing don't miss the main thing so what is the main thing what is jesus teaching us well i've already told you i've already told you this is a parable about the soils but the seed does matter verse 11 now the parable is this the seed is the word of god Get that. The seed is the word of God. Some people will misread this parable. Well, see, right here, it proves you can lose your salvation. I mean, the soil that falls on the rocks, it starts to grow and then it dies. The soil that falls among the thorns, it starts to grow, but then it dies. People people getting into other things lose their salvation. That's not what it's teaching. The seed is the word of God. The plant that grows from it is God's plant. It's not us. We are in the soil, not in the seed. And what's important about that is the fact that apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches, without me you can bear no fruit. Why not? Because the life for the fruit comes from the vine. The life of this plant is dependent on God's Word, but we're the soil. And if we are not conducive, to God's Word growing within us, it will not bear fruit. The seed is the Word. The plant that grows from it is the work of God. The fruit that grows on it is the work of God in us. So what do these soils teach us? Well, there's four soils because there's basically four types of hearts. Jesus opens it up to us. He tells us what it means. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard... Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The path is the unmoved heart. These individuals represented by the path have such hardened hearts that the seed of God's word does not penetrate at all. The ground is too packed in. These folks simply reject the gospel outright. The seed is easy pickings for Satan's birds and for demons' feet to trod. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that few, if anyone here watching online in in the sanctuary now, are are completely unmoved by God. Um, But just in case you are, you have no hope, not until you repent. That ground has to get broken before it can produce anything. The heart unmoved by the gospel is often used by God, but you don't want to be that example, because that's Pharaoh. The unmoved heart is the path. What about the rocky? The rocky soil, what kind of heart is that? Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. The rocky soil is the half heart. So while the path soil is the unmoved heart, the rocky soil is the half heart. The one that's halfway in, halfway out. As long as it's easy, as long as it's good, as long as it makes me feel good, I'm perfectly willing to go along with it. But the moment that Jesus asked more of me than just an assent to an intellectual proposition, the moment he wants more of me than just a few bucks here and there in the offering plate, the moment that he wants more than me than just an hour on Sunday morning, the moment that he wants more of me than the simple easy sacrifices to make, that's when I'm out. It's the half-hearted. They hear. And they receive it at first. While it's easy, then trouble. Trials come. The rocky soil does not permit the roots to grow deep. does not allow the Word of God, the elements it needs to thrive. The hardness of heart lies just below the seemingly fertile topsoil of religiosity, of good works, It keeps the Word from taking root deep within the heart of that man. It's the man who takes religion instead of accepting Christ. This is the man who does good deeds and looks to those actions as his salvation, his ticket out of hell and into heaven. He'll say the prayer, he'll walk the aisle, he'll get baptized, whatever outward sign is necessary, but the Word never takes root because below the surface his heart is impenetrable. That's why when there's no rain and the sun's bearing down, it withers away. To quote John in his first epistle, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be clear that they were not of us. In other words, those those ones that appear to be part of the church, that appear to be doing the right thing, appear to be living their life in the right way, it's all appearance. When trouble comes, they're going to jet. That's the half-heart. That's the one whose soil is rocky. What about thorns? Verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now there's a third type of man. His ground is decent, but it's not cleared out. Thorns and weeds, brambles and bristles and thistles. Jesus tells us the word has good soil, but So do other things. Cares, riches, pleasures. These things are like thorns. They steal away the nutrients that would bring fruitfulness. It's probably the most common problem we have here in Western Christianity. There's just too many other things vying for our attention. And that still small voice of God, we don't even hear it. For some, it's anxiety. That word cares, that's anxieties. It's fears. It doesn't matter if it's really lurking, not. One of my children has been afraid of the dark lately, and I've been trying to tell him, it's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of in the dark. See, what what really scares them is not the dark. It's not being able to see what's in the dark. And your mind trumps up all these pictures of evil monsters (laughs) or bad guys coming to get you. It doesn't matter if they're really there or not. Fear consumes you. It grips you. It chokes out God's Word in you. Now, that's that's not the only side of this. For some, it's it's stuff. The riches and pleasures and luxuries, the things the things that we like, the, the things that make our lives comfortable and easy. When the internet slows down because everybody's on it, because everybody's at home on the internet because they can't be at work doing their jobs, oh, we freak out. The internet's down. What are we going to do? It's a catastrophe. We have become such sissies. And I could say that because I are one. But those things distract us. Those things crowd out the word. Those things choke the word. Now, that doesn't mean that it's bad to have riches. You just got to put them in their place. It's not bad to have a good-sized bank account. Share some with me. (laughs) kidding. But in all reality, it's not bad to have these things. It's when these things have you. That's the problem. And for so many, it's, it's the riches, it's the cares, it's the pleasures, it's the things that are, make life so comfortable and so easy that we just don't want to give them up. And I'm going to tell you something. When you cannot live without something other than God, that is your idol and you need to kill it. You need to destroy it. You need to tear it down, burn it in the fire, whatever you got to do, crumble it up into pieces because it's an idol. And that thorn will do nothing but kill the word of God in you. There's a fourth type of soil, verse 15. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Something interesting here, there's a couple of different words for good. There's overlap and it doesn't directly line up. Unfortunately, they didn't consult each other at Babel to make all the languages line up. God just kind of threw them into a mess, and ever since, we've been trying to figure this thing out. But there's two different words for good, and one of them, the range is a little more pleasing. It's like I said the other week, fine dining, like that word fine. You know, these are fine accommodations, things that are good, pleasing, that kind of good. It, there's nothing inherently moral in them. They're just acceptable. They're pleasing. They're nice. And then there's a good that's good. It's the, it's the right, upright, holy kind of good. He uses both words to describe the person whose heart is good soil. In my version, it says honest and good heart. That's both of those words put together. This is every kind of good. This is the guy that's a nice guy, but he also stands before God righteous. Now, you can't do that on your own. That doesn't happen because you're that awesome. That happens because God is that awesome in you. But that good soil, those are the ones who hear it, who hold it, who do it. Four soils, four types of hearts. By the way, you're one of those types of hearts. Which one are you? Are you the path? Are you the rocks? Are you the thorns, are you good soil? Father, may we all be good soil, arable, nutrient-rich, cleared out, ready for your seed. May we hear your word, but do more than just hear it with our ears. May it take root in our hearts and grow within us. May we abide by it, hold it fast, and thereby bear fruit. For your glory and honor, we ask these things. Amen.